Hey, so we finally got some snow. I don't know about you, I love it. I think it's great. Um, when it comes to winter, I would prefer it to be really cold and just piles of snow everywhere. So we've got the snow. We could use a little more cold so I can go ice fishing. Everything is, all the water's wide open around here and it's just bugging me. We should be on the ice by now. But it, I think it's coming soon. I'm not a fan of the in-between temperatures or the January rain, which we'll probably get some of uh, later today. So that kind of bums me out. But um, in the same way, I think my heart is close to our Lord as we have uh, read this scripture um, to the church in Laodicea. You know, I wish that you were, they, they were neither hot nor cold, but a lukewarm kind of a church. So we're going to take a look at that. Um, we're continuing our journey, of course, through the book of Revelation. Uh, we've been looking at these seven letters to the churches, and we're going to look at the last three of those letters today. And it's interesting. Some people, uh, they, they love these seven letters, and they'll focus on them, and they sometimes do that because the rest of the letter is going to get a little bit more, more imagery, a little more futuristic, a little more crazy, and, and they just, these, are, these letters are maybe easier to interpret and understand. Other people... Um, don't like these letters. They want to skip over them and get to that other stuff because that other stuff's more interesting or it's more spectacular. But I think it's good for us to spend some time with these letters. Um, and it's, we, we know that it's letters written to specific churches in specific time and place, but yet at the end of each letter it says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we all have the ears to hear, and I pray that God would give us ears to hear what the message is even for us today as we learn from these churches. So um, I'm going to uh, give you kind of one highlight from each of these letters, each of these last three letters. We have one church that is cold, ice cold. We have one church that is hot and on fire. And then we have one church that is lukewarm. So we're going to go cold, hot, lukewarm, and take a look at these. Let us pray now. Father God, uh, we thank you for your very presence with us in this room, and we sense it, and I sense it, Lord, and that you have, that, that you're at work right now, and that we're here for a reason, a good reason, um, that you are accomplishing your good purposes for your kingdom in this time even, Lord. So we pray that you were praised through the worship, and we now yield ourselves to your word as you teach us by your spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's start with the cold church. This is the church in Sardis. Uh, this, is, this is one of the harsher of the seven letters that were written. Uh, there was very little good to say about the church in Sardis. The only good thing, really, that's said about this church is they have a good reputation, but it's a good reputation that they don't deserve. Uh, look at verse 1. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Um, this is a church in a coma, a church on life support. You've got a good reputation, but you're dead on the inside. When we think about Jesus' message to this type of a church that might look good or people might think is a good church, but is on the inside is quite empty. We think about how Jesus interacted with people in his earthly ministry, particularly religious people. Uh, there was a group called the Pharisees who Jesus had a lot of problems with, uh, these religious experts and these religious leaders, and he would just, they, they looked very proper and religious and moral on the outside, and Jesus would just criticize them 
over and over. Just hear these words from Matthew 23. <clears throat> uh, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And this is, this is just the... the the rebuke here is it's the inside that matters. You care what kind of reputation you have, what people think of you. God knows the heart. The call to this church, this ice-cold, nearly dead church, is to wake up. Verse 2, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. That there's good deeds for you to do. There's good kingdom work that God has for this church, and they just haven't done it, and they need to wake up out of this cold slumber and get at it. The, there's a pastor named Tony Campolo. He's sort of a pastor and an academic and a writer. Um, he, he grew up, the neighborhood he grew up in was, he ended up, he's a white guy, and he ended up growing up in this African-American church. So that was sort of his background. And at this church one Sunday, he recalls the story of, uh, they were doing a student recognition day where they'd have all the college students come uh, to the pulpit and they'd share where they went to school and the degrees they were getting and, and the, all the parents and grandparents were clapping and amening everything and it was just a celebration of the opportunities that uh, these children and grandchildren had that uh, weren't even opportunities that weren't available to, the, to these older generations. So they're very, it, was, it was lots of music, it was a great celebration and the pastor of the church gets up Time for the message, and he says, Children, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. They're gonna take you out into the yard, drop you in a hole, throw dirt on your face, and go back to the church and eat potato salad. When you were born, you're the only one who cried, everyone else was happy. That's not important. Here's what is important when you die, you will be the only one who is happy, and everyone else sad. Of course, it depends on how you live your life. Right now, you're collecting titles, bachelor's degrees, master's degree, doctorate degrees. Is that what your life is about, collecting titles or collecting testimonies? He said, think about Moses and Pharaoh. Pharaoh, that's a great title, ruler of Egypt. Good title, but Moses had the testimonies. Think about Queen Jezebel. We actually, her name came up last week. Queen, that's a good title. She was going to destroy Elisha the prophet, but at the end of the day, all she had was her title. Elisha had the testimonies. King Darius, good title. He threw Daniel in the lion's den, but at the end of it all, King Darius, all he had was his title, but Daniel had the testimony. And I say to you, Free Christian Church, one day you will die and they will put you in a hole and throw dirt on your face and we'll come back to the rotunda and eat potato salad. It'd be nice on your gravestone to have all of your titles on the gravestone, but far more importantly would be people standing around your grave sharing testimonies of how you introduced them to Jesus, 
how you encouraged them in their walk, in their faith, how, uh, how they demonstrated to you what it meant to live a life surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit, of that, the, that you were the hands and feet of Jesus to them and to those around you, the testimonies. I, it's great if you have the titles, but I pray that you would have both the titles and the testimonies, and if you have to make a choice, go for the testimonies. The church in Sardis had a good reputation, but they were ice cold, nearly dead. And the reminder for us today is to remember, what are we living our lives for? What is our purpose each day? How does a church, how does a church with a good reputation end up so dead anyway? And I think it's, it's similar when Jesus told this parable about these different seeds that were planted and they grew and they, in different ways they, got, um, they, they died. I think a church like this is probably a church that Jesus describes a plant that's growing in weeds and thorns and just kind of choke it out. The busyness of life and the allure of wealth and all that it takes to be successful in our world's eyes can really choke out our faith. There's an old saying, if the devil can't make you bad, he can make you busy. And we get busy with all these things and spiritually we just die inside and we um, may not even realize it we've become cold in any way, the, the reminder for us is to wake up. <laughs> there's work still to be done. There, there's lives to be touched. There's ways to bless and love in Jesus' name. And that's the message for Sardis. That's the church that had grown cold. The second letter here, or I guess the sixth letter, second one we're looking at today is the church in Philadelphia. This church was hot. This church was faithful. This church was warm uh, verse 10 says, you have kept my command to endure patiently. Remember that phrase from chapter 1, patient endurance? This church was already doing it. They had already endured great opposition, and they had, had faith and patience and perseverance. Um, so they had very high faith and endurance, but their strength was running low, and they needed an encouragement, and they got this an encouraging word, and there's no reprimand in this letter. This is just encouragement from Jesus. Verse 8 says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. For them and for us, when our strength is small, God's strength in us becomes great. It's, it's in our weakness often that we find how strong God is. We, we experience something of the knowledge of God's strength in those moments of weakness. 2 Corinthians 11 describes, in 11 and 12, really describes this well. 2 Corinthians 11, 30, if, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then 12, 9, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, this is how God works, that we see strength through humility and and. And, and, and what we would consider weakness. Just think of Jesus. Think of the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here we have Jesus, who is God in the flesh, but doesn't take his divine nature, his equality with the Father, something to use to his own advantage. But as Philippians said, he makes himself nothing. He, he takes on the form of a servant. He takes on human nature and is obedient, even to death on a cross. This is the God of the universe humbling himself to death on a cross, and yet, God the Father raises Jesus to, to new life. He, he lifts up the humble. 
Again, we see again and again through Scripture this notion of God taking down, you know, taking people off their thrones and lifting up those who are humble in heart. God's strength is enough for you when you feel weak. This, I love this quote. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all you have. Sometimes he needs to bring us to those low places to know his strength. And there's a beautiful blessing to this church in the midst of their, what, they, what they feel is weakness. Um, verse 8 says, See, I have placed before you a door, an open door that no one can shut. You know, here's people, and, and we probably feel this way too sometimes, that we don't feel influential enough or we feel weak or we don't feel strong enough to have any great impact for God in our world, but yet we can do small, simple, everyday acts of faithfulness um, that God is using for his greater purposes. It doesn't matter how weak you feel. What matters is your faith in the Lord, keeping his word. You might be, yield, you might be wielding influence that is that is much more powerful than you'd ever dream because God's using it. Because of the faithfulness of this church in Philadelphia, Jesus is giving them an open door of opportunity. And for us, you know, just it's about being faithful in those small moments and the everyday things of life and, and, and little, little tests every day that come our way and we, we choose faith. So if you feel weak and unimportant this morning, be encouraged. And, and I would encourage you to be an encourager to others in a world that is, a, we live in a fault-finding world. We, find, we live in a world that's easy to complain. We, we live in a world where we like to point out all the, the bad and the evil, but we can be encouragers every day. Just before, uh, if you remember early Advent, just before Christmas, we had an opportunity as a church to encourage some of our senior adults. And we encouraged people to uh, write letters to those in our community who are shut in or alone and in different ways would, would be encouraged by some Christmas cards. So we encourage people to do that. You actually, I don't think you guys even know this, at 9 o'clock, so that was after this 9 o'clock service, you went out and got all the cards and you were gone. So at the 1045, there was no Christmas cards left. There was no more addresses, no more stamps. You took them all and sent all the cards out. So we had to go back and get more cards and get more stamps and get the addresses and get them packed to people. We're picking them up all week and on Sunday. And people were in the rotunda filling out just a, a, a word of encouragement to someone who needed it. And then we heard back. And I get cards back that say, thank you so much for all these words of encouragement. They mean so much to me. One person told me I'm going to read them all through 2023. They're on my mantle, and I'm, I'm going to read them all year long. And I thank the church for the, the, these words of encouragement. I don't even know these people, and they're encouraging me. And for, we've heard from family members and others, it was great. So one person who re, was a recipient of these cards, she was uh, talking to one of her friends, and she was, uh, she's a widow. She doesn't have much uh, extended family around, and she's in, in many ways very much alone. And she was getting these cards. She told her friend on the phone, she said, you're not going to believe it. Every day I go to the mail, and it's just full of cards, and there's all these messages, and she was so encouraged by that. And she told her friend. And then Christmas Eve came around, her friend called her back. She didn't pick up. Christmas morning, she didn't pick up. And her friend was concerned. Friend called the police and said, hey, my friend's not picking up her phone. Can you just do kind of a wellness check? So the police went to her house. She had died, unattended. She was by herself. But she wasn't by herself because she was a woman of faith in Jesus Christ. And God was with her. 
in her last moments. And we were with her. The last messages that she got from really anyone was from you. Words of encouragement that filled her heart as the Lord was preparing to take her home. When you wrote those cards, you didn't know that that might be some of the last things that this woman read. But God used that for you and for her. And her family was encouraged by that. And encouraged by the cards that continued to come after her death. And read them. And and these are people of faith, and they are blessed by you, the love that you showed to this person who you may have never met. It's... We, we feel weak and insignificant. Our God is so great. He's going to use every little act of, of love and encouragement that we give to bless others. And this is the church in Philadelphia. This is a church that's, um, you know, they, they are, they're enduring, they're patient, they feel weak, but God is providing all kinds of opportunity for them. The last church here in the last letter, um, if Sardis was the cold church in Philadelphia was hot, uh, Laodicea was lukewarm. I remember when I first was introduced to this letter, Laodicea. I was 10 years old. I was at Christian summer camp. We're doing our nighttime devotions in our cabin. So we're all on our bunks, a bunch of 10-year-olds with our Bibles. And the camp counselor, kind of an eccentric guy, he said, hey, before we you know, read this passage of Scripture, we we'll just go around the cabin and just describe, how's your spiritual life? How's your walk with Jesus? How would you describe it? Would you describe it as cold? Would you describe it as hot? You know, you're just on fire for God. You know, how would you describe yourself? And, you know, even as 10-year-olds, we don't want to boast and say, you know, I'm on fire. And, you know, nobody really wants to be cold in their faith. And we didn't really know what to say. So we went around the cabin and we all kind of said, yeah, I'm, you know, kind of warm to, to, to God. And everybody kind of, and, and the next kid goes, yeah, you know, Sometimes I, I, I stumble, but, you know, I, I feel warm. And everybody kind of put themselves in the warm category. And our counselor read this passage of Scripture to us, and he said, you're a bunch of lukewarm Christians. Jesus spews you out of his mouth. That means you go to hell. <laughs> I was 10 years old. I didn't forget that. I, don't, I never forget that. What? Um, I found, in hindsight, I find that to be kind of manipulative. Uh, Certainly frightening. Um, The background of this city here, Laodicea, literally was a place of lukewarm water. There was nearby uh, city of Hierapolis, which was known for its hot springs and its warm uh, mineral water, which had healing properties to it, uh, medicinal properties. There was nearby Colossae, which was known for its cold springs and it's cold refreshing water and this is this image you know as the warm water flowed into Laodicea it was useless it was it was disgusting you would go to drink it and just spit it out it's just a lot of mineral and salty warm disgusting water useless and really their spiritual condition of this church was useless they don't have the the healing ministry to others and they didn't have a refreshing ministry they were just kind of warm, and they, they thought well of themselves. Verse 14 says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
Laodicea, interesting background, it was a banking center. So there was some wealth in Laodicea. It was a center of, of medicine and healing. They were famous for a special eye ointment that was produced in this area. Uh, they were also famous for dyeing wool. So it was a textile city. So they had all the clothing and all the ointment for the eyes and all the banking and money. And here the message is actually you're poor and blind and naked. The message, the, the call to this group is now repent. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, verse 20. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So this is the point of the letter, not to literally scare the hell out of us, which my camp counselor did. We all, we all received Jesus that night. I mean, it was, we, were, we were very prayerful, but... What, what, it is, what is going on here is a God who loves us enough to rebuke us, to discipline us, and to knock on the door of our life and say, will you let me in? And we, we, we use this passage, this verse 20, you see here, we, we often use this in the context of people coming to faith, people who don't have faith in Jesus. Even in the Alpha Course, we, we, we love this verse. We say, look, Jesus might be standing at the door of your life and knocking. You just need to open that door. But this is a message to Christians. This is a message to people who already knew the Lord and said, hey, if you just open this door, I'm going to come into your life in a way where, not just in the middle of the road, one foot in, one foot out, but I'm going to be part of your life sitting at your table, and we're going to feast together. That's life the way that I intended it, says Jesus. And that's, you know, what's holding you back? Open this door. I'm, I'm knocking. I stand here. And I think for you, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm kind of, I, maybe I am put myself in that warm category. Jesus is inviting you to open that door. Jump both feet in with him today. And there you have it. There's your seven letters to the churches. Next week we're going to see the spectacular vision of, of heaven and of of Jesus. Um, but before we leave these letters, I want you to notice that each of these letters is a mirror that we can hold up and read and kind of look at our own life and our own church and say, whoa, where am I in this? Again, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, can we have ears to hear and eyes to see? You know, this is the mirror to see ourselves, or maybe a thermometer to take our temperature. When we take our spiritual temperature, what does it read? If it's cold, then we just need to wake up. We need to um, realize it's not just about how we look, but it's inner work and, and the, the opportunities that God gives us every day. If, we, if you're hot in, in faith, but maybe you feel tired and weak, remember God is strong. Be encouraged and be an encourager to others. And if you're feeling lukewarm, just open that door. Jesus is right there. He's right there. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you're loving enough to warn us, to show us your way and your heart, um, your desire to be fully part of our lives, to empower us, to, to wake us out of whatever slumber we are, to give us every opportunity to love and to serve others. And we just pray, Lord, that um, we would respond in faith 
that we would open the door, that we would be in such deep fellowship with you that it propels our life every day. And then we remember what life is all about. But being part of your kingdom and sharing your love and the good news of your gospel with our world, Lord. May it be for us true every day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.